But if we can have even bigger reach and reach the many people, if we can influence a billion people to care about this, then that's the biggest impact we could possibly have. Because when consumers join forces and really start caring about something, things happen really fast. Welcome to the Freewheeling Podcast, the place for free-thinking ideas in transport and mobility. My name is Thomas Abelman, and each week I'll bring you fresh voices, new ideas, and unconventional thinking. So let's get started now with this week's edition of the Freewheeling Podcast. My guest this week has a job that, at least from the outside, looks like something of a challenge. There's no greater symbol of 20th century car culture than IKEA. The advent of personal mobility when combined with mass production gave everyone the chance to live in a home that looked like it came from an interiors magazine, as long as they were willing to drive themselves, load the boxes into their own car and assemble everything when they got home. IKEA furnished the world and it came to symbolise the transition from city centre to out of town, and I don't get the sense that sustainability was high on the agenda when IKEA was founded. But my guest this week is changing all of that. Angela Holtberg is the Head of Sustainable Mobility for Inca Group, which includes IKEA. Angela, welcome to the Freewheeling Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, one of the reasons I invited you onto this is I was fascinated to see that IKEA had a head of sustainable mobility. Um, my image of IKEA is a big blue box, miles from anywhere, surrounded by main roads, a huge car park, and you have to drive. And right. it didn't strike me as a place where sustainable mobility was even thought about. Have, have, I, have I got it all wrong? No, I mean, that's fair, I guess, uh, at least thinking about what IKEA has been. Maybe not completely fair thinking about what IKEA is today. Uh, I think, yes, we are very much associated with a big blue box and a potato field somewhere outside of the city centre. Um, and we joke about that as well. But fact is that that's no longer always the case, is it? IKEA is moving into city centres We've opened quite centrally in London, in uh, Paris, in New York, and uh, and we're trying to move closer in to people. And I think sustainability has always been part of, of what we do. And maybe you know more about our efforts in sustainable wood, or you've had the plantables in one of our restaurants or something like that. But but fact is that mobility Mobility is the precondition for most of the things we do, right? You need movement to get people to work, to get customers to our stores, to get goods to customers. Um, so it was quite clear to us a few years ago that we really needed to start focusing more on mobility. So I'll, we'll come on to some of IKEA's efforts in a minute. But first of all, let me ask how on earth you got into doing this and I, I'm fascinated to see that originally you were, you were a tax lawyer that's your that's your profession isn't it how does a I, tax lawyer end up running sustainable mobility for IKEA yeah that was a very short career Thomas I should make that clear but yes <laughs> I I did go to law school I specialized in uh, in international corporate tax and I spent the first six months of my you know postgraduate career at PwC as um, tax lawyer but that was only a six-month-long career, and then I left law and taxes, and and I never looked back. So I was recruited by Scania, actually, the Swedish truck manufacturer, and uh, and I spent some time there in their trainee program, and then I joined Global Transport later on at IKEA as a project leader, and 
joining IKEA was probably the first place I had worked where sustainability was very much integrated in everyday work. I, you know, I've seen sustainability strategies and I've also put them in drawers and taken them out every two years to revise them. But at IKEA, I, you know, we didn't have a meeting. There was no PowerPoint without at least one sustainability slide. So I just, you know, learned more and more and more. And after a few years, I decided that I only want to focus on this. Uh, and knowing transport quite well, I obviously started there. So I worked a lot with um, sustainable deliveries as part of our fulfillment sustainability work. And after a while, I guess, um, I guess Inca thought that, you know, we might as well just give her the full scope. And so then I took on co-work and customer travel as well. And it feels like a, a huge task. I mean, IQ is massive, it's global, and its entire business model was based around customers driving themselves and driving them home again, uh, all individually. Uh, every every physical store was created around that assumption. When trying to tackle something like this, where on earth do you start? I mean, I, I have an elevator pitch. So I usually say that my job is to make sure that everything that moves within our company moves in a sustainable way. So it's quite easy when you think about it because that defines the scope quite well. And to me, it's it's four parts, we can say, and these connect to the goals we have in our, our strategy that connects to mobility. So it's it's home deliveries and services. We need to make them sustainable. We need to make them zero emission. Uh, it's customer travel that you're talking about. Uh, we need to reduce emissions coming from customer travel. We need to be more accessible in an affordable and sustainable way for the many people. Uh, it's also about co-worker travel. And when I say co-worker travel, I don't necessarily mean business travel. That's part of it, but that's actually a tiny part of our total emissions. Co-worker commuting emissions is much larger because we have 170,000 people getting to work every day, and that comes with impact. And then obviously the fleet we own, and Inca is not a massive fleet owner. We outsource our home delivery, so we don't have a huge commercial fleet. But we have benefit cars, company cars, pool cars. Uh, we have some vehicles for customers to, to borrow to bring their goods home. So we need to also lead by example. But it's only those four things, really. And then anything connected to it, like charging infrastructure. So that's that's where I start. Oh, simple, really. <laughs> how, how hard could that be? We, how hard we, can it possibly we, be? Yeah. I, I remember reading the Heathrow Airport are uh, a zero emissions airport. Mm. Um, but of course, they manage that by excluding the aeroplanes on the basis mm. that the aeroplanes are kind of someone else's problem. Yeah, so that, is, that makes that, it easier, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> so IKEA could say, well, we're going to, our definition of sustainability is you know, our vehicles, our, you know, the things that we do ourselves, and the customers can do their bit, and the, their cars aren't our responsibility. So where, where do you? define the scope of your sustainability project responsibilities ending as it were well we absolutely um think of our scope three emissions as our own right so that's why customer travel is in there and customer travel is a huge part uh of our emission it's actually the third biggest emitter if you look at the entire ikea value chain so not inca specifically we're more retail uh but even if you look at the entire supply chain um, so, so obviously it has a big impact and we can't just say that, nope, it's not our car. So, so, you know, we don't have to care about it. That's, 
not how we work. Uh, so we do think about scope three emissions as our own. And we have the overarching ambition to be climate positive. That's positive as in not only neutral, but positive uh, by 2030. And if we are to achieve that, we need to drastically reduce um, all emissions, of course, but specifically connected to mobility, since it's such a big part of our total emissions. But it's the same as with offsets, you know, it, it doesn't actually reduce the CO2, does it? That's why IKEA doesn't work with offsets either, because we're here to actually lower the emissions. And I mean, to hopefully then be positive by producing a lot of renewable energy and working with carbon carbon capture. That's a fantastically ambitious objective for IKEA, of all people, to be carbon positive uh, in now less than 10 years. Um, how on earth is that going to be achieved? And specifically from a mobility perspective, how on earth is that going to be achieved? I mean, it will be achieved by, by integrating sustainability in everything we do, right? Sustainability cannot just be a side function that we do when we have time to spare. It, it needs to be integrated really in everyday business uh, by everyone, not just the sustainability team. We've already actually decoupled growth from emissions. So we've proven that you can do that. You can grow your business and at the same time, lower your emissions. And, and this work is obviously what we're going to continue to build on. But for mobility specifically, what it means is um, we're moving towards, uh, well, we, our goal is to have 100% electric or other zero emission home deliveries by 2025. So that will be a, a big part of it. Uh, we're obviously going to change the fleet we have. So we, you know, lead by example and don't only expect our transport providers or our customers to do the work for us. We'll change our own fleet by 2025 as well. Um, and then we also want to reduce uh, customer and co-worker travel emissions by 50% in relative numbers by 2030. So that's sort of, that's my uh, northern star. These are my goals. Um, we also had a goal actually of offering charging infrastructure for um, charges for electric vehicles at all our stores by 2020. Um, that we do now. So that it ticked. So now I only have three goals. So you see already <laughs> now 25% uh, of, of the work is done. No, that's not true, of course. But uh, But yeah, that's what we're trying to achieve. And so in terms of the, the, the customer travel, is that 50% reduction going to be achieved by the same people arriving on the same mode, but with different um, technology, you know, electric vehicles? Is it going to be achieved by changing the way people arrive? And if it's going to be achieved by changing the way people arrive, presumably that means changing a lot of what IKEA looks like, or is it going to mean changing where IKEA is? I mean, how, 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 what does it what does it mean for me as a customer of IKEA? What will I see differently to make yeah. that possible? There's a lot we need to do uh, to make this happen. I wish there was a silver bullet here, but there isn't. Uh, so this is this is a puzzle we're trying to, you know, to find all the pieces to. And like I said, what we want, um, you know, lower emissions, yes. But what we want is to make IKEA accessible to the many people in a sustainable and affordable way. And it's not only about the environment. A lot of people don't have access to a car and we can't pretend that everybody does. Um, and if we look at our markets, we see that even in markets where we sort of used to assume that people had access to cars, like many cities in the US, for instance, where we just assume that it's a country where most people 
go by car. And then we realized that actually 40% of the people living in a certain area uh, close to an Ikea, 40% of the people we would consider to be, you know, prime candidates to be customers, uh, don't have access to a car. So how on earth will they get to us? So it's it's not only a sustainability problem, it's a business problem as well. And so we're doing many things. One thing is, of course, yes, offer charges. So customers actually can go on electric vehicles. A majority of our customers do not own electric vehicles, nor will they in, in you know, the coming five years, maybe. Um, so we also need to move into city centers so we are accessible. So you can reach IKEA by bike or by foot. Um, then we don't want to take those emissions that we save and, and simply spend them on home deliveries. But we want to also make, make home deliveries sustainable. So, you know, so all those emissions are gone. So coming closer to the customers, part of the solution then we also need to find different mobility solutions for our uh, customers. And that's why we're now looking into uh, things like mobility as a service, looking into different schemes, like how, how will we get people to IKEA? So we're looking to pilot just many different things and basically see what sticks and what our customers like. We also have the challenge, of course, that we operate in 32 countries and not all countries are the same, right? So what might work really well in, in Norway might not work so well in Italy or in South Korea or in Canada. So we need to really find those solutions that work and that might be an electric shuttle bus or it might be, I don't know, offering bike repair services or it might be... Um, shared uh, you know shared mobility in some way it can be many things and we're sort of trying them out right now so we don't have the solution we just know it's going to be more than one solution so that's also where we are now obviously moving into city centers that's ongoing and finding these mobility solutions is something we're we're just beginning with so most remains to be done for sure and how do you think about it from a business point of view? I remember the first time I was a, probably a teenager at the time, the first time I visited an Ikea and there was a poster or some some display that taught through the, the, the founding logic of Ikea. And it was it was really simple. It was really explicit. And it said, basically, we make you do all the work. That's why all our stuff can be really high quality and yet very cheap. Mm. And it, it made total logical sense. And you thought, yes, that makes sense. That's why this place stacks up. And of course, the... It was also then very, very simple. You know, big blue box car park, no complexity, no cost, simplicity. And everything you're talking about here, moving into city centers, electric shuttle buses, it all sounds like it'll add cost. It just it's, it adds complexity and cost. So how, how does that align with the sort of the, the, the founding principle of IKEA as it's, it's simple and therefore it's cheap? We try to keep it simple still, of course, but we also have to see, yes, it might add cost short term or even midterm, but it might also keep us in business for another 80 years. So, you know, we're investing now in future proofing our business. What good will it be for us to have one format that fits part of the population? We want to have formats that fits everyone. IKEA has from, from the first day been for the many people, right? And that's been our vision all along, to create a better everyday life for the many people. And then you also have to cater for the many people's needs. And people change. And as people change, so must IKEA. There's no point in us 
clinging on to a business model that has served us really well for years, but we now understand what's developed. Same as we're going online, you know, uh, that's also something we needed to do because the many people want to shop online. And so we offer online services and we offer home deliveries to go with those services. So it's all part of, of developing uh, with consumers. I mean, the customer will always be our focal point and what they want, we try to cater to. And then we try to do that in the most cost efficient and sustainable way possible. One of the interesting questions around the whole sustainable mobility agenda is kind of who's responsible for making these decisions? Like you sound like you, know, you personally and IKEA has taken a decision to you know, really focus on this and get this right. And yeah. governments have their responsibility. And we also talk about whether consumers, you know, it's, it's consumers' responsibility to make these decisions. And of course, if, if consumers make decisions, then you, theoretically, you, you, you as IKEA are subject to the risk that someone else will will come along and say, actually, we, we're not going to do sustainability, we're going to be cheaper, and you lose market share in the short term if you're relying on consumers making a decision that they'll that they'll prioritise these issues. But on the other hand, should you do it out of the goodness of your heart? Should government make you do it? Where should these decisions sit? And how do you coordinate to make sure that if you're investing in you know, charging sockets, for example, that that's part of a wider infrastructure so that it all makes sense for the end user? I think we all have a part to play, um, and that's a very obvious answer, of course. First of all, I wish it was me personally who got to make these decisions. It's absolutely not. Um, if we look at mobility at Inca, there's a large group of people involved. It definitely uh, is not me and me alone. Uh, we have so many colleagues in customer fulfillment, uh, handling warehousing and logistic, working with this every day, both on a global level and down in the markets. Our fantastic co-workers at People and Culture are doing the same when it comes to co-worker travel. And then we have market support teams doing it when it comes to customers. So there's a large, large group of people involved, everyone from real estate to procurement to sustainability, everyone. And at the end of the day, these types of, of initiatives also, of course, needs leadership. So it comes from the top, right? And we have a, a management team at Inca Group who care deeply about sustainability topics, but that also understands the, the financial benefit and the business benefit of acting in a more sustainable way. So I'd say it's, it's both and. Does it come from the goodness of our heart? Yes to some extent, we chose a long, long time ago to be a responsible company and to work with, with matters on you know, renewable energy where we, we own more wind turbines than we own stores, um, selling uh, solar panels to, uh, to customers, but also you know, we have almost a million solar panels ourselves uh, to work with, with certified wood and, and sustainable forestry and to work with fish and water, all of it, right? Um, because we want to be a responsible company and we also recognize the impact we have on the world. And with that comes responsibilities and we want to take that. But we also understand that doing good is good business. And, you know, we're here to sell some Billy bookcases, definitely, in the most sustainable way possible. Um, but that's what we're here to do. But we know and we speak from experience that that it will be good for business to be more sustainable. And we've proven that with with our cotton initiatives, 
um, with the, you know, the decision to only sell LED lights, for instance. Everyone said we were crazy when we announced that and the customers will never go for it and LED lights are too expensive, etc. And that was a decision we made. We will simply stop selling the other products because we know that LED lights are good. It's good for, for customers, uh, you know, economy. It's good for the environment. And that's what we did. So we can absolutely make decisions that will impact our business. But the ambition is, of course, also to impact others. So if we take home deliveries, for instance, we can change um, IKEA retail so that all our home deliveries are made on electric vehicles or cargo bikes or zero emission options, then that is fantastic. That has some impact because we do send vehicles into to cities and people's homes. But if we can be part of, of setting an example and showing the industry that this can happen, also being IKEA, as you, you know, sort of implied, notoriously cheap, if we can do it, then others can as well, of course. And then we can change an industry and that would be fantastic. But if we can have even bigger reach and reach the many people, if we can influence a billion people to care about this, then that's the biggest impact we could possibly have. Because when consumers join forces and really start caring about something, things happen really fast. Look at single-use plastic, for instance. It took less than a year from that whole movement starting to come up in, in the UK for until the biggest home furnishing retailer in the world pulled all single-use plastic from the range. So if we can influence consumers, then obviously that's the biggest impact we could possibly have. And obviously you'll be doing your own research into what consumers think. What what are they telling you of their attitudes to sustainability at the moment? I, I, I Honestly, because I, I, I remember when I was at National Express, and this was 20 years ago, obviously the world has changed a lot since then. But I remember we, we once did a, a focus group on sustainability and my favourite response, someone who says, you could power the coaches with coal as long as it's cheap. Um, mm. thought, okay, not everyone, not everyone is there yet. Um, not so. everyone is there. That's true. But a lot of people are, I think more people than ever, uh, which is positive. And I think also younger people care more. And this is also part of future proofing one's business to actually act according to those uh, values and standards that I think that the up and coming generation of consumers will demand. They don't want to engage with companies that don't share their values and don't show that they care about these topics. So I think it's it's more and more important. And then, of course, sustainability is extremely wide. And it's not only the environment. We, we also need to address social um, sustainability. So equality and inclusion and working conditions and all of that. And I think you can't really say, do they care about sustainability? They care about certain topics, for sure. Do they care enough about zero emission home deliveries? I'd say no. Maybe that's not top of mind today because we've, you know, the, the industry has taught most consumers that what they want in deliveries are free deliveries, fast deliveries and free returns. This is sort of what we're what everyone is telling them, this is what you want. We can offer you even faster, even faster. All three driving very unsustainable behavior, of course. But then comes a company like IKEA. Um, and like you said, our, our business model is still, you know, you do your part, we do our part. The more we do, the more you pay. And the more you do, um, 
you pay less, right? So if we deliver, that will come with a cost because, you know, much like lunches, there are no free deliveries. Um, and we will show you that cost. Um, and and a lot of company won't. So I think when it comes to mobility, maybe it's not top of mind with the many people yet. My dream is, of course, for deliveries and, and for mobility to be the new single-use plastic. And everyone will wake up one day and say, like, I don't want to see these big uh, vehicles clogging up the city center. I want to breathe air that is not toxic. Uh, it's a pretty basic uh, need. And that's what I expect from, from companies I engage with. But we're not there yet. But sustainability overall, I think if you're not uh, working with this, if you're not future-proofing your business by thinking about sustainability and acting in, in a sustainable way, I think you might not be in business uh, in the future. And yeah, obviously, one of the big um, sources of delivery emissions at the moment is Amazon. And I don't get the sense that Amazon are putting an awful lot of effort into sustainable deliveries. I mean, I know they're so they're, they're migrating a lot of their own vehicles to electric. On the other hand, most of Amazon deliveries don't arrive on their vehicles and they're on subcontractors that are um, pretty diesel-y. Um, do you get the sense that Amazon is kind of engaging in the opposite education process to the one that you're engaged in at the moment? I can't really speak for any other company uh, specifically uh, on what they do or don't do or what the intention is. Um, what I can say is we will need more partners and we will need players like Amazon uh, or any other company that has a big impact on the industry to really work together to find the right solution. I mean, I can sit uh, at Ikea and talk about sustainable deliveries until I'm blue in the face. Nothing's going to happen. I need other retailers to also do that. I need the transport companies to also uh, prioritize this. I need charging infrastructure company. I need the OEMs, the manufacturers to actually produce the vehicles we need. Uh, I need utility, uh, I, I, you know, energy, and I need local policymakers or governments to go for this. So I think, yes, some companies are more influential than others, for sure. And they therefore maybe have even more responsibility to drive a positive change. But it's going to take it's going to take an industry really to change it. And in your wish list of needs there, you talked about the, the various people who've got to come to the party, other retailers, transport providers, local authorities, etc. Where do you sense the biggest gap is at the moment? Where who's not yet fully there compared to others? I think in general, there is a little bit a sense of waiting. Um, that's at least what I expect. It seems like many parties are waiting for someone else to do something before they can really do that part. And I think the most, you know, the, the best discussions I've had is actually when when you get everyone to the same table, this was pre-pandemic, at the same time. But when you sit down at a table or virtually I guess with you know IKEA retail as a purchaser of transport services you have a service provider there you have charging infrastructure company there you have an OEM there you have maybe local policy makers uh, utility company and like okay what can everyone bring to the table take a city Say, I don't know, say um, Los Angeles or, you know, or Milan or Shanghai or whatever it is. 
and just say, okay, how do we transform this city? What can we all do to transform this city? And then you can start, you know, bargaining. Okay, this is what I can bring to the table. This is what I can bring to the table. And then you also find the gaps. And the gap might be, you know, there's a lack of charging infrastructure. How do we address that? We can't find the vehicles we need. How do we address that? Uh, the cost is too high. How do we address that? And then you can work together, but it, because it turns out that maybe maybe policymakers can help with the financing, maybe leasing companies can help with the financing, uh, maybe OEMs and charging infrastructure and purchase of services can help with the charging infrastructure. So I, I think there's a sense of waiting, and that's one of the biggest gaps. But I mean, the main challenges are the same for everyone, I think. It's the cost or investment, if you will, but the cost of transformation, it's the lack of suitable vehicles and the performance of the vehicles uh, and it's charging infrastructure. You mentioned earlier that IKEA is in 32 countries and you're at the moment doing a lot of experiments. So from looking around the globe, where do you see countries at a sort of ecosystem level that are best in a best place to progress this agenda and also in terms of ikea specifically are there any particular experiments that you've run in, in individual locations or stores that you've thought oh wow that was something that that, that really worked Let, let's grab that and learn from that um like i said we're just in the beginning now so when it comes to customer travel we don't have so many findings yet but it depends on what um what flow we're looking at if we're looking at home delivery specifically for instance china is by far our most successful market 90 percent of our deliveries in china are made on electric vehicles already um and the remaining 10 percent has a lot to do with with you know the geography of china or the oh what's the english word type type topography oh, topography right that's it um and uh, in northern China, right? So the vehicles can't handle it. Um, but that's by far our most successful market when it comes to home deliveries. Uh, and it's a perfect storm of, um, well, first of all, of a very engaged and skilled team. But we also had a transport service provider who really wanted to go on this journey with us. We started working with an EV sharing platform uh, called DST. So this was a very new you know, a new type of partner for us. And that's what we need, new types of partnerships if we want to, to make something new happen. Uh, and of course, China has, uh, you know, they have their vehicle manufacturers, uh, they have battery production, um, they have incentives, and there's a real will in the country uh, to go electric. And they have a huge air pollution problem, obviously. So it was a bit of a perfect storm there. Uh, and, and it's gone really well, much better than all our other markets, uh, to be fair. But if we look at customer travel, I mean, an obvious uh, case would be Norway. Look at new car sales in Norway. They're all, uh, you know, on electric cars, more or less. Not everyone, of course, but more than 50% of car sales in Norway are electric vehicles. So our issue there is to, you know, add charges to our stores to satisfy customer needs. Um so obviously the emissions from, from customer travel in Norway is lower because, but that's something the customers have done. That's not something Inca can take credit for. We can enable it by adding charges. We also have a bus um, so people don't have to take their car and both co-workers and customers can take the bus to, to Ikea in, instead of going in individual cars and things like that. So, you know, China, Norway, depending on the streams, but I think 
I think all countries are, you know, in the start of a quite exciting journey. And from a global perspective, it's about, you know, seeing the results and finding those examples and scale. That's where we are today. So we're no longer at the point of commitments and announcements and, and projects even necessarily. We do a lot of projects too, of course, but always with the intention to scale and scale as big as possible. It might not be it works globally, but it might work for that continent at least. Um, so that's what we're trying to find out, those really scalable successes that we can yeah, copy-paste um, across as many markets as possible. And if it's all about the ecosystem, customers, consumers, everyone working together, then you're actually about to. Tell us a bit about what you're about to start doing, which is, to an extent, all about furthering that agenda. Right. So, I mean, when it comes to customer travel, a lot of it is around finding these new solutions. And, of course, everyone's very excited when we get to, to find new technology and look at at different solutions. So mobility as a service is really an area where we're going to look more into and see how can how can we engage with that with our customers. Obviously, you know, consumers and people are finding new ways of mobility. You know, we see the uh, we see the the um, scooters across many cities uh, in Europe and the electric scooters everywhere. Uh, you know, we see the rise of gig economy and companies like Uber and Lyft. What does that mean? Is that more sustainable solution? Is it not? Can we help them being as sustainable as possible? How do we work with that? Um, and what role can IKEA play in this ecosystem? It's not a given that a home furnishing retailer uh, would work a lot with mobility as a service. Um, so we don't, there's no playbook for this. We have to write it as we go. So I think that's the, that's the next frontier, if you will, um, and where we will spend a lot of time exploring and that and also finding out what do customers want? What do they need? I mean, we know we want to make customer travel affordable, sustainable, accessible and safe um, for the many people, but we don't yet know exactly how to do that. Fantastic. Well, final question from me. You're head of sustainable mobility at IKEA. Are you fundamentally a mobility person, a sustainability person, or an IKEA person, would you say? <laughs> it's like asking which one of your kids you love the most. Um, <laughs> well, I don't come from sustainability. Like you said, I'm a taxpayer. I am fundamentally a business person, I think. Um, and I'm very interested to to see how we need to be more sustainable in order to succeed as a business. So I choose secret option number four. I'm a business person. Fantastic. Angela Holbo, thank you so much for joining me on the Freewheeling Podcast. That's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you thank for you having very me. very much. Thank you. Well, that concludes the Freewheeling Podcast for this week. Thank you very much indeed to my guest, Angela Hultberg, the Head of Sustainability at IKEA, and thank you to you for listening. If you've enjoyed the Freewheeling Podcast, do jump onto the podcast store for Apple or wherever you listen to this and give us a quick rate and review, and I look forward to being back with you again next week. Goodbye. <laughs>